You're listening to the Colby Connections podcast. If you have any questions or concerns, or if you just need somebody to talk to, please connect with us at wfcog.com. Enjoy. Prayer as it should be. We started talking about that last week. Prayer as it should be. And one of the things we talked about was the power of prayer. And everyone would agree with me there's power in prayer, right? How do we know that? Because we see answers to prayer. Just today, uh, I heard several people tell about how God has answered their prayer. There's been several folks tell me that this happened or that happened or there was something they were going through. They had a breakthrough. And we know that's from the power of prayer. But can I also tell you there's something else comes with, with prayer, and that is trials and temptation and spiritual warfare. Surprise, surprise. Because we have an enemy who does not want us to pray. How many would agree with that? Why is that? Because prayer keeps the channel open between you and me and God. It's through prayer that we communicate all the things to God that we stand in need of. That's where the power comes from. Now, knowing that prayer has this potential, then what should we be doing? We need to be praying for one another, and we need to be praying for others. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? That's why this morning we're talking about the focus of prayer is how can I pray for other people? You know, that's one of the things I started thinking about. It seems really easy and somewhat elementary until you really start thinking about it. How do I pray for uh, different people in my world? How do I pray for those in my congregation? How do I pray for those that I've never even met yet? Maybe folks that I've heard of or uh, folks that I've been introduced to for the first time. So prayer becomes one of those things that we really have to look at and have a guideline to help us focus our prayers. One time a father walked past his daughter's bedroom and she was praying. The door was cracked just enough to where he could see inside. She was beside of her bed and she was praying. Well, of course, this dad wanted to know, what's she talking to Jesus about? And so he, as he shouldn't have, poked his ear in the door and began to listen. You know what he heard? She was praying her ABCs. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right there. I mean, in earnest prayer, praying her ABCs. Well, her dad looked, and he thought. He was confused. Finally, couldn't take it anymore. He just walked in the room and said, Honey, what are you doing? He said, Well, Dad, I'm, I'm praying. But how are you praying? You're reciting your ABCs. How's that prayer? She said, Well, I got to praying about all the people around me, and I really don't know what they need, and I know God does. So I just started praying the alphabet and let God put it together for them. Now, a 10-year-old will get by with that. <laughs> but the reality is true. How do you pray for people around you? How do you pray for the people that you go to worship with? How do you pray for that person at work that gets on your last nerve? Oh, boy, now the lights start coming on. Oh, okay. How do you pray for that neighbor? That's a challenge. How do you pray for that spouse? Who's with you now and you can't shout amen too loud? <clears throat> How do you pray for your grandchildren? 
How do you pray for people that you meet every single day? The reality is we know we should pray for people, but how do we do that? And I think Paul gives us a great outline here. He really does. As a matter of fact, I think he gives us a guideline on how to pray for others. Now, you have to realize Paul did not know the people that he's talking to or he's writing to in, in, in Colossae. And the reason for that is because he's in prison. But even being in prison, it didn't stop him from praying for the believers that were in the church in the churches of Colossians. And so I want you to notice what he says and pick up on some of these uh, themes that he has. And I want you to give you a guideline for praying in your life that translates well to other people. What do people need more than anything else? I think it's purpose. People need purpose, so we need to pray for purpose. What is purpose? It's that reason you get up every morning. It's that reason you go to work. It's that reason you come home. It's that reason you go to church. It's that reason you bow on your knees before God. It's that reason you do what you do because everyone needs to find what their purpose is in their life. The very first thing uh, request Paul makes for the Christians here in Colossae is for them to be filled with the knowledge, notice this, the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see, knowing God's will helps us find our purpose. Now, remember last week how I defined prayer. Prayer is not an exercise of trying to talk God into doing something you want. Prayer is not trying to convince God to do something that he doesn't want to do. Prayer is about aligning your will with God's will and staying there. I had to add that on. That came to me this morning. Because so often what we do is we align our will with God's will, and we stay there for a while, and it's like, this is really not convenient. That This is really painful. That This is costly. And what we do, we have a tendency to drop back and start finding our will again. No, no, no. It's aligning our will with God's will and staying there for the long haul. Our greatest example of this is Jesus himself. As he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing the sacrifice he was going to make, knowing the pain that he was going to deal with at the cross of Calvary, he comes to the Father and he says, Father, if there is any other way, if you think being in purpose for God and knowing his will is not painful, listen to this prayer. Now, I've heard scholars say one way and the other, well, Jesus really wasn't wanting out of God's will. Jesus wasn't asking for a plan B. I beg to differ. I want to tell you why. Because it's in the Garden of Eden you see his humanity struggling with his divinity just like it happens in your life and mine. That's why the Bible says he was someone just like us who knows what it's like to be tempted, who knows what it's like to face everything we face, but to come through victoriously. That's why the Bible says, fix your eyes on him who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen? So as Jesus is in the garden, he knows those nails are going to hurt. He knows that lash on his back is going to hurt. He knows there's going to be humiliation as he hangs on the cross for six long hours, naked to the world. He sees the humiliation. He understands what is ahead of him. Humanity is struggling. He says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, 
not my will, but your will be done. That's prayer in the raw. That's real prayer. That's prayer where the rubber meets the road. And that's exactly what Paul is praying for this church. He's praying that they would experience this will of God, this purpose of God in their lives that would really help them understand and explain what's going on in their lives around them. It was in 1799 that French soldiers found a stone slab with the inscriptions on it outside of the city of Rosetta. It's modern-day Rashid in Egypt. The inscription was a decree issued in 196 B.C. at the coronation of King Ptolemy V, and it was written in three languages. In ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics, you know the word pictures? It was written in Egyptian script and in Greek. And until this time, it had been impossible to translate Egyptian hieroglyphics. But the Rosetta Stone made it possible. Have you ever tried to learn a foreign language or a language that's different to you? It requires textbook. It requires a lot of audiovisual help. It requires a teacher. It really helps to go in the country where you can practice the language, right? But what would happen if you didn't have any of those things? What if you didn't have any of the teachers or the software or the interaction? How would you try to learn a language that was unknown to you? It would be impossible. You see, that's why Jesus came from heaven to earth to teach us about God's will and God's purpose. Jesus, if you will, is our spiritual Rosetta Stone. Jesus is the one who came into the world to decode the translation of God's mysterious plan for redeeming our lives. And it says you and I are in his purpose and in his will. We understand this. You and I have one purpose and one purpose only. And that is to allow God to love us and to work through us to reach a world for him. That's it. Aren't you glad Jesus came and decoded what God was wanting to do in your life? You see, there's a lot of things you may not understand about Scripture. There may be a lot of questions you have about events and stories and theological points. But there's one thing you can do when you look at Jesus. You see someone who is totally devoted to the will of God. And as you walk in his will, he begins to describe for you every day what God wants for you. And that's how Paul was praying for these Christians. This is how he was praying for these believers. You know, sometimes we go through life and we realize that our purpose has been sidetracked. Our purpose isn't quite what we thought it would be. Or, again, we, we pray and our will is coming in alignment with God. And then we begin to see those uncomfortable moments that come with this alignment. And we're like, God, is this really what you want for us? And so I want to tell you, yes, as we walk in the will of God, we need to pray for others to also find this purpose and to be in the will of God as well. Now, the next thing Paul does is he prays for productivity. Once you find God's purpose in your life, once you align your will with his will, we need to live productive lives. Amen? They need to be lives <clears throat> that are focused on accomplishing. Here Paul prays for the Christians in Colossae not only to understand God's will for their lives, but to also practice it. You see, it's one thing to know something. It's another thing to do that. Right? Verse 10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, knowing, growing rather in the knowledge of God. Now, notice this is not simply that they would have the right attitude. 
But this attitude will be followed by action. And this action would lead to fruitfulness in their spiritual life. What fruitfulness are we talking about? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. Think about all those aspects of the spiritual fruit in our lives. How does that come? When we know the will of God and we practice obedience to what God tells us to do. We're living productive lives where we have an opportunity to minister to this wonderful grace that we found in Him. The truth is, there's many times you and I can know the will of God, but we're not walking in the will of God. That's the ouch moment. There's many times you and I may know the truth, but the question is, are we living in the truth? Does this sound familiar? James said it. To them who know to do good and do it not, to them it is sin. Boy, that hurts, doesn't it? So what do we do? Well, as we discover the will of God, the purpose of God for our lives, and we live these productive lives, here's what we find. A fruitful life is an obedient life. As a matter of fact, obedience is one of the greatest words you could ever catch on to and understand. You see, God really, <clears throat> he loves what we do for him. He loves our service for him. He, he loves how we do things in the kingdom or in the life of the church. But what he really wants from us is obedience. Why? Because obedience is greater than sacrifice. There's something about obedience that someone is following God because they desire him more than anything else. It, it, it's second to none. You see, it's only through action that we fulfill God's purpose in us. And it's only when we act on God's will that we can please him in greater and greater ways. So the, the ultimate aim of God's knowledge and knowing his will and walking in that will is that we walk in a way that's pleasing to God. F.B. Mir wrote in one of his books about a man who came to him and he was really struggling. He said, I just don't have the joy that I once had in my life. You ever been there? I just don't have that joy unspeakable that's full of glory like I once had. And Mir asked him a question. He said, was there ever a time in your spiritual life when you did have joy? He said, absolutely. When I gave my heart and life to Christ, there was joy that was incredible. As I lived my life for him, there was just joy on top of joy. I didn't think it could get any better. And Mir looked at him and said, was there ever a time in your life that God asked you to do something and you refused? Tears began to flow down the man's face. He said, actually, I remember the day I felt God calling me to a ministry. And I remember saying to myself, I can't do that. It's beyond me. Someone else can do that so much better than I can. And he said, I, it bothered me for a while, but then a, a while later it didn't bother me as much. Now I barely remember it, and I just remembered it right now when you ask. And Mir said, that's where you lost your joy. Church, there are so many of us, if we would just be honest, that's where we lost our joy. There was something in our lives that God had called us to. There was a ministry where God wanted us to serve. There's something that God was calling us to in his will. And you know what? It got hard. And it got difficult. And we began to offer excuses like, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I'm able. I don't know if I'm gifted. I don't know if this, that, or the other. And you want to know where the joy is? The joy is back where we just simply go and be obedient to what God says. You see, it's obedience that helps us live. 
these productive lives that God is calling us to. Guys, when we pray for people, we should pray that they would be obedient to God's calling on their lives and their ministry and their lives, and they would live in such a way that it's worthy of the gospel of Christ. And most importantly, we need to pray that they would seek to please God in every way, no matter what the cost may be. Because if they would, uh, if they would do this daily, they'll show it by bearing fruit. In other words, there's going to be results in their life. And what's going to happen is people's going to notice that. They're going to see that. You don't have to walk up and tell someone that's an unbeliever or maybe a struggling believer, oh, look at all these good things God's doing in my life. They're going to be on display there. All right? You don't have to trumpet that. They're going to see that. And that's living a life legitimately before God. And so Paul is saying, I'm praying that you would live lives that are producing these kind of fruit so that people would look at your life and realize, yeah, they didn't do that on their own. There was someone that was there besides them. I want to live a life, and I want to live in obedience. And I want people, when they see my life, they realize there's no way that cat could do what he's doing by himself. There's got to be someone else there. And that gives me an opportunity to say, let me tell you what Jesus can do in your life. Amen? You and I live as open witnesses and testimonies before others. And we produce those good fruits. And people say, how did that happen? And he gives us an opportunity to tell them. I love what John Maxwell said along this point. He said, the greatest fruit that a person's life can bear has lasting value. Usually that means actions with eternal consequences, such as salvation for unbelievers and spirit-empowered ministry to other members of the body of Christ. So when you pray for others, pray they would be productive and that they would choose to bear fruit that is eternal. Amen. Fruit that is eternal. Actions and lifestyles that reaches other people. So we're to pray that people would know the purpose of God in their life. That they would live productive lives. And number three, we should pray for power. You see, this is the key element. So often we try to make it happen on our own. How many of you were Christians long enough to realize I can't do this on my own? How long did it take you? Huh? How long did it take you where you're in this defeatist mode over and over again, never able to complete and accomplish what you knew God was calling you to do? And it's because we have forgotten that it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. Anything that's accomplished in the life of the church has to be accomplished with the anointing and the empowering of God's holy presence inside of you and me. Look at verse 11. He prays that they'll be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Now, his glorious might is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, I would tell the church today, what we need over and over and over again in our lives, myself included, is we need to be continually reminded how we need a fresh anointing of the presence and the power of God every single moment we live. You see, it was this thought and it was this line that's what draws me to a lot of John Wesley, John and Charles Wesley's writings. Because they understood that just trying harder and turning over a new leaf and doing your best, while those are good things that human efforts can do, they understood that the missing ingredient is a holy fire from God's love that has been implanted in our hearts and in our lives and in a sanctified experience that begins to grow and expand and we serve and we love and we minister in ways that we never dreamed possible because we are relying upon God's presence and his anointing. The church in the West today needs a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. 
The church in our nation today needs a fresh reminder that we need an anointing of God's presence. Because without that anointing, without that unctioning, without that moving presence of God among us, everything that we do will just be human efforts. Human efforts are wonderful. We are to love. We are to be kind. We are to help one another. Absolutely. But man, how much more powerful is it when the Holy Spirit anoints it? One of the things I'm seeing now, and I'm so happy that we as a congregation are a part of with other congregations in our community, is up for basketball. I'm seeing it now more than ever. This is the fifth year. And when I stepped out on the court yesterday, three times I gave this basic devotional on obedience and how kids are to be obedient to their parents and parents are accountable to the Lord. When I get to that part, I'm telling you it's so quiet in that gym with a hundred plus people in it, you can hear a pin drop. I've never in my life seen more attention people are giving to the Word of God and instruction of the Lord. Is it me? Absolutely not. It's the anointing that God has on that ministry and the Word of God that's going out. That's what's doing it. And I believe we're going to see results in that because people today are looking for this. So when I pray for those folks who gather with us at Upward Basketball, the thing I'm praying for is they would discover God's will for their life. They would live productive lives and they would understand without the Holy Spirit empowering them and living in them, anything they do will never prosper. I want you to notice what he doesn't pray. Paul doesn't pray that they would receive power according to their wants and needs, but according to God's glorious might. Why is that? Because God's glorious might, God's power is infinitely powerful. In other words, there's no stopping for God. There's no limit to the power of God. Can you imagine that? It's in John chapter 15, verse 5, we understand what Jesus said when he tells us where this power comes from, the connection that has to be there. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do, don't be timid, apart from me, you can do not one thing. Oh, you can do it. It's just it's not going to have the abiding presence of God's blessing on it. You see what I'm saying? It looks like this. Spring comes this year. Some of you guys are going to get those lawnmowers out. And you're going to start pushing them across your yard, right? Right? Now, some of you will drive them. But let's just say you're pushing. And let's say you push and you push all day long or a couple of hours. And you think you've got it mowed. And all of a sudden, you realize you never cranked the engine. All you're going to have is a yard full of, a yard full of wheel marks, Right? Nothing's happened. Why? Because there's been no power in that engine. Or you get up tomorrow morning and you want to make toast and you push the toaster down and you wait for 10, 15, 20 minutes, wonder what's going on, and it hadn't been plugged in. Has ever done that besides me? There's a problem. You know what the problem is? It's not plugged into the source. You see, we can know God's will for our lives. We can be living productive lives, but if we come unconnected from the source... We're in big trouble. Do you know where I find the source of God's power as much as anywhere else? Right here among God's people. There's a story one time I'll never forget. You've heard it, but it's worth it. The story's told of a young man who had given his heart and life to the Lord. Man, he was on fire for the Lord, loved God, and he was serving God. And, and, and there's just excitement and joy. And there's just this holy fire burning in his heart and his life. And, and 
everything was going good until he got his eye off Jesus. And he started watching brother so-and-so. He heard what sister so-and-so was saying. He began to notice under the periphery of the way people act and some of the gossip that happens and the unforgiveness. And all of a sudden he thought to himself, I'm just going to stay at home because I can do my own thing there and I don't need all of this hypocrisy going on in other places. Well, he was at home and the story has it that an older member of the congregation went by to check on him. He'd been missing him and he knew what was going on. And the guy described to him what I just said to you. You know, I love the Lord, on fire for God, serving God, loving God, wanting to be with God. But I see how people act. You see he's where his eyes were. He's watching people. And so I just decided I could just sit here at home and I, I get just as much out of this. I'm just here with the Lord, just me and God. We're in partnership, right? And so the old guy, while they're sitting in front of a fire, takes a coal, an ember underneath the fire and pulls it out. And they just continue to sit and talk. They just sit and talk, sit and talk. And the whole time they're watching the ember in that, that, uh, that piece of coal slowly fade. Then he takes the poker and he pushes it back into the fire. And all of a sudden, after a little while, that coal heats back up and starts glowing again. You see, the moral of that lesson is, the further you get away from God's people and watching God alone, and fellowship with God's people, the colder you're going to grow in your walk with God. If you want to be on fire for God, you've got to be among God's people, not watching them, but following the Savior that has ignited the passion in many of their lives. Because you know what I've found? I've found most people who watch others, they have a wide variety of people to look for, and they look at the wrong one out of 100, 200, 300 people. There's still a lot of people in the house of God that's on fire for the Lord, that love Jesus with all that's within them. They renew their strength in the Lord. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. If you want to watch someone, watch someone who's on fire for God. And if they start burning a little lows, then keep watching God. Amen? Have you seen that? I know I have. That's how we stay connected to the source. We've got to remember, we are human beings, folks. We are going to fall short of the glory of God. And we're going to have a tendency so many times to want to focus on other sources of power rather than the one we've been given. I love what David says in Psalm chapter 20, verse 7 and 11. David said, some trust in chariots, some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some people trust in programs. Some people trust in traditions. Some people trust in philosophies or pet theologies. Some people trust in denominational decrees and, and preachers. Not us. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. You want to know why? Because preachers will let you down. Denominations, well that goes without saying. They're going the way of the dodo. No offense to denominations. I'm just telling you, it's just, going, it's just going away. All the programming, all the stuff, all the peripheral you see around places of worship, if it's not bathed and anointed by the holy fire of God, it should go by the wayside. Because we need to get back to the source himself. And that's the Holy Spirit of God lighting and flaming his people's hearts with a holy love for others. It's Jesus who teaches us well. 
What we need to be focusing on is to reaching out to people who need to feel the love of God and the love of others and be making disciples of all nations, teaching them everything that he taught us and then baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we keep doing that over and over and over again. Empowered by the Spirit of God. See, that's why it's so important for us to pray for people asking God to give them his power. Because without this... They won't be able to handle, they won't be able to do effective Christian witnessing. But with this power, they can show strength in the face of adversity, patience during trials, and endurance to finish the race that God has for them. We need to pray that people would experience this anointing of God. And you and I as believers, we have to stay in his anointing. As a matter of fact, one of the prayers I pray before I finish up, one of the prayers I have prayed so often for my life is, Lord, renew within me an awareness of how deeply I need your Holy Spirit's presence. I'm telling you, church, in a moment, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we can turn the world right side up. It's already upside down. Or we can go in human efforts and work for a lifetime and never accomplish one thing. You know, I kind of chose which one I prefer. I prefer to walk with God and depend on Him. And I know you're walking with me in that. As a matter of fact, I believe that's the collective desire of every one of our hearts, isn't it? We want to be led by the Spirit of God. We don't want to run ahead of Him. We don't want to lag behind Him. But guys, there's so many people that need to be with us too. So that's one of the prayers. We pray that people would experience this power of God. Finally... In closing, we need to pray for others for their perspective. We need to pray for perspective. In other words, we need to pray for clarity of focus. You know, when your focus is off, everything's wrong. Did you know that? When your focus isn't right, when you're not really clear on what you're doing and where you're going, uh, what's the old saying is? Someone that, you know, shoots at nothing hits it every time, right? I mean, if you're going to go on a trip and you say, where are we going? I don't know. We're just going to drive till we run out of gas or gas gets cheaper or whatever. How many is going to get in that car? I mean, I, I'm a guy that likes a lot of uh, uh, spontaneous stuff. You know, I'd be tempted to, but I'm like, I got to know where you're eventually going to end up before I get in the car with you. Amen? Because it could be over a cliff if you don't know where you're going. So there has to be a clarity of purpose and focus in our lives. There really does. And here Paul prays this, and it's right at the very end. I don't want you to miss it, and we're going to get to it here. But Paul says in verse 11 and 12, as he wraps it up, he says, I'm praying for great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Did you notice that? The focus is our share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. What does that mean, Pastor? That means this is not your home. Pastor, this life doesn't seem right. It's not. Pastor, it seems like there's something going on wrong in this world. It is. This world is irreparable. It's irreparable. There's nothing you and I can do to fix what's going on right now other than to reach out to people with the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ because our focus is to have people know him so they can enjoy this wonderful inheritance one day that we're all going to have with him. The truth is, True believers in Jesus who understands God's will for their lives, who are obedient and spirit-filled, aren't ungrateful. They're not easily provoked. They're not miserable people. They're people who are focused on this inheritance. They're people who are focused on what 
happens at the end, at the last day. They're thankful and joyful people. Paul says that through it all, they would maintain a positive, joyful attitude. And let me tell you, our attitude is so important. There's three people said amen. Our attitude is so important. But I watch some Christians' attitudes. I wonder what's wrong. You've seen it. And it's usually when you talk about some article you read on media somewhere. Oh, man. Don't know what we're going to do. I'll tell you what. This deficit's going to get us all. This war over there, uh, wherever, that, what are we going to do? It could be the end. What are we going to do? Woe is me. Let's hang our harps on the willow trees because we've lost the songs of Zion. Poor little Jesus. What's he going to do now? How will he rescue us? Now, I know you don't say that. But you live that way when Eeyore is your spiritual animal outside of these walls. I mean, I've seen some Christians. Let's just be honest. I've probably been there myself. We drag. We almost carry this cloud over us. And you know what? People at work that don't know Jesus, if they see that and they think that's Jesus... They're not going to leave you alone. They're going to be gone. Because I'm going to be honest with you. There's enough gloom and despair. We don't need anyone else. We don't need others added to our lives. Amen? You know what people really need? I'm talking about genuous. I'm not talking about faking this stuff. I'm not talking about fake it till you make it. Nope, 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 not that. I'm talking about just genuinely knowing that even though heaven and earth pass away, I am the Lord's I know. One of the greatest ways to start a conversation with someone that tells you how bad everything is, how everything's collapsing, say, well, it doesn't surprise me. I I knew that was going to happen. How did you know that? Because it ain't getting any better. As a matter of fact, you can just look at them and say, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's going to get much worse. Congratulations. You're living in the world. The church... This world is not our home. Come on. We're just passing through. It's Peter who said, we are aliens and strangers. This world is not our home. Now, yes, there's enjoyment. Yes, there's happiness. Yes, we want as many years as we can. And funny thing is, when babies start being born, we want more years and more years and more years. Why? Because we want to watch them, right? I've experienced that Two and a half years ago, all of a sudden, I began to realize, even though this life may be ending and the world's not getting any better, I've got a little guy that's walking with me that thinks I hung the moon, and I want to be a witness for him. I want Noah to know Jesus. I want him to look at his pop and say, yeah, he was a mess, but he loved Jesus. And the church would say, amen. Hey, watch it. That's too much happiness over in this section. It's supposed to be the amen corner over here. Yeah. <laughs> But no, that's, that's the key, guys. You're not home yet. You want to know why everything's upside down? You're not home yet. You want to know why the enemy's still after you? You're not home yet. You want to know why you're disappointed right now? You're not home yet. You want to know why the world seems to be coming apart at the edges? Ah, oh, you all got it. I love it. So Paul says, here's what we do. We live on purpose and pray that others will be on purpose. We pray 
that others would be living these productive lives. They'd be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, but they don't lose perspective. They keep their focus. And even though the problems and issues and troubles and trials come in this world, we're not going to allow these things to take our eyes off of Jesus. We walk in gratitude. We walk in thanksgiving. We walk in praise. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest attitudes you and I can have, and Paul alludes to it in chapter 3, but real quickly, the wonderful attribute of gratitude has a way of lifting our eyes off of ourselves and onto others. Isn't that true? When you live a grateful life, you know what God has done for you through Christ Jesus, and you're grateful for that. Man, people are drawn to that. Do you know why? Because gratitude takes our eyes off of ourselves and onto people. And all of a sudden, we begin to pray for joy and peace and love and patience and grace for them. Guess what comes back to us? The more we pray to be a blessing to other people, guess what comes back to us? Blessings. The things we ask for others, guess what God's going to give back to us? What we ask for others. It's a heart of gratitude. It's a heart that realizes people truly need the Lord. You see, that's why... I want you to notice this amazing thing about prayer. It doesn't simply change others. It changes you. It changes me. And many times when that happens, that changes everything. Haven't you felt sheepish after God answered a prayer and you realized you were the, you were the problem? I'm sorry, is that just me? I guess I'm speaking to a mirror. I, I mean, I'll be praying, boy, fervent God, change this situation. And all of a sudden, I realized I'm the bottleneck. I'm the one. Well, now, Lord, I, I, I didn't realize that, but I thank you for showing me that because prayer many times changes situations because it changes me. Welcome to humanity. Welcome to jars of clay <laughs> that God is filled with the most precious resource in the world. That's what Paul said we are. We're like jars of clay. Clay pots. Some of us are crack pots, aren't we? Some of us had to have some super seal on us. You know that on TV, the Holy Spirit has put a seal on us because we're leaking. You ever leaked? I know I have. And here's what I've noticed about my leaking. God just keeps pouring and pouring and I keep leaking and leaking. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit meets me where I am and he says, hey, here's a patch. Puts it right on there. Usually it's upside my head, but you know what I'm saying. You get the picture, right? You see, I'm trying to bring some levity into it. I'm trying to bring some humanity into it. Because you need to give yourself grace. There's some of you all here this morning. You need to give yourself some grace. Maybe you need to forgive someone. Hello? Maybe you've been carrying something in your heart. And it needs to be poured out. Maybe you need to go to that person and tell them you're sorry. Or maybe just in your heart, you need to release it. Maybe there's some envy. Maybe you're wondering why this person's getting ahead and, and they're a no good for nothing, stinking rotten shame at work. They don't do a thing, but they're getting all the effort. They're getting all the attention. By the way, I've noticed that's normally how those things work. And if you're a Christian, it's because the enemy will use it against you. You see, that's what happens when we're real with God. And we look at the situation, look at the circumstances. And God is over and over again saying, this is my will for you. This is my plan for you. You know, I want you to stay on purpose. I want you to be productive. I want you to be living these productive lives. I want you to be filled with my, pe my presence and my power. But most importantly, if you do all of this and you lose your focus, 
then none of this will ever mean anything to anyone. That's why we keep our eye on Him. That's why we keep our eye on Jesus. That's why when Peter was out on the water, remember Jesus came walking on the water? And Peter, he had foot and mouth disease. He's always putting his foot in his mouth and trying to walk at the same time. He said, Lord, if it's really you, bid me come to you walking on the water. <laughs> the other disciples are going, has he lost his mind? What if he said, about that time Jesus said, come. <laughs> out Peter went. But he took his eye off Jesus and what happened? He began to sink. What happened when he called out to Jesus? He lifted him up. It's that simple. There's some of you all need to cry out for help because you're going under. I don't know who it is here or who may be watching online. But someone needs to know that Jesus is there. Jesus is here. And he'll be with you. And can I tell you something else? Jesus isn't mad at you. God's not angry with you. As a matter of fact, he's not even disappointed with you. He knew what you were going to do and where you'd be before you got there yourself. He loves you. And he wants you to begin to walk in the power of this prayer and this knowledge. He wants you to keep your perspective on the here and now. We no longer focus on stuff. We no longer focus on awards. We no longer focus on the things this world has to offer. We have set our eyes on where our inheritance is, and that's in heaven with him. We started initial, we've initiated a plan for prayer in our church this year. The first thing I have to tell you is I'm ashamed that it's taken this long for me to really get serious about prayer. I'll admit that openly. Prayer can no longer just become a part of the order of service or just something we do because it's what we've always done. Prayer's got to become the way we live every day in the presence of God. Prayer's got to become the preeminent thing that we have saturate everything in our lives. Every, I mean, in a conversation with God continually. But most importantly, in this time that we pray, we need to be praying for others. So my question is, would you stand with me? I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up and get ready. Just stand right where you are. Because I want to close with some questions. And I, as they're coming, I want you to just close your eyes. And I want you to think about these questions I'm asking to you, okay? Here's the first question. Who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? Secondly, what do they need? The people you're praying for, what do they need? Have you asked boldly? Have you been praying for them? Now, I want you to do something we did last week. I want you to just take hold of the hand that's of the person beside of you. Or if you want to form a little semicircle where you are. If you want to get with just a few others around your seat. Or, yeah, if you're sitting by yourself, just reach over Maybe just turn and face someone because so often we talk about prayer, but we don't do prayer. So before the worship team sings, I want us to do just that right now. Father, there are people, Lord, that's in our minds and our hearts who need prayer. God, right now I pray that you would present them to us. Maybe it's ones we've known already and we have been praying for, but for, Father... Maybe someone has just come into our mind right now. We're like, oh, man, they need prayer, and I've not been praying for them. I pray, Lord, that we would just write their name down, if it has to be in a prayer journal. And whatever it is, Lord, whoever they are, that we would pray, Father, they would, re they would understand your purpose for their life.
that they would live productive lives, that they would be living lives powered by the Holy Spirit, and their perspective would be as ours. Father, that we don't focus on the things of this earth, but the things that are unseen. Now, Father, I pray you would hear those prayers that are going up right now. Prayers for moms and dads, brothers, sisters, maybe grandparents, grandchildren, maybe neighbors, friends. Maybe for that person they just met or just moved in beside of them. Father, help us to pray for people. Because there's such a need in our world today, Lord. People need you. I thank you for hearing us because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow Winchester First Church of God on Facebook for live broadcasts and updates. We'll have another episode here for you soon, so stay tuned. Have a blessed day.